Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. John Hood is our guest. He's the president of the John William Pope Foundation. Uh, used to be a, a frequent guest on the North Carolina Spin, Tom Campbell's program, which ended its long run uh, uh, during uh, the Christmas season uh, after I don't know how many years, a long 22 time. 22 years. 22 years. It was a great program. And, uh, of course, Tom has also been a guest on our program from time to time, and we hope to have him on. Uh, more often now that he is uh, free of those responsibilities. Well, John, we, let's turn to North Carolina politics now. And uh, uh, we have several interesting things that are going to happen in North Carolina over the next uh, uh, year. One is, of course, the census is probably going to allocate North Carolina an additional congressional, congressional district. And that means we will go through the process of redistricting the congressional districts one more time. Uh, that could change some things, and I want to get your views on that. And then also, uh, we have a key uh, senatorial race coming up. Richard Burr has announced that he is leaving his seat in 2022 after a long run, and uh, that could uh, be an interesting time for there to be a race uh, for that seat. And uh, I want to get your perspective on that. So let's let's first turn to that first question I ask. Uh, what what will be the outcome of the redistricting and the possible addition of a 14th congressional district in North Carolina? Well, remember, we'll be redistricting congressional and legislative districts uh, in 2021. Uh, there won't be a formal change in how redistricting is done, but there's already been some reforms that have occurred through litigation to the extent that the maps will probably be drawn uh, less aggressively than Democrats or Republicans have drawn them in, in the past uh, sort of number one years of a decade. 2011, the Republicans uh, drew the maps to favor their party. In previous years, in, in 1991 and 2001, the, the Democrats were aggressive in favoring their party. I don't think there'll be as much of that redrawing these congressional and legislative maps. There'll be some. And I think what will happen inevitably is because of population flows, the districts in counties like Mecklenburg and Wake will shrink in physical size. In other words, there will be more districts in urban counties and, and around urban areas. The rural districts will grow in size to capture enough people to stay the right number. Um, in a way, it becomes harder and harder to, to do anything really interesting in rural areas, even if you want to, because you have to respect county lines as much as possible in North Carolina. So I think that if gerrymandering is still aggressively done, despite the recent lit, lit, uh, litigation-related reforms, it'll happen in these urban counties. And it probably won't happen without litigation. And so I think the Republicans know that they don't have the free hand they thought they used to, to have. So... All, all in all, I think that the congressional map will be such that most of the incumbents will probably be okay. That's usually the way maps are drawn. However, I'm not sure all the incumbents will run in 2022. There are some older members who may decide because their map has changed again or whatever that it's time to retire. So there may be a lot of opportunities for Democrats and Republicans to move up the ladder, so to speak, politically and run for Congress, either the new 14th district or an open seat. Then we got the Senate race. And of course, some of the members of Congress might run for the U.S. Senate seat, though what I've heard more frequently is something, you know, for example, Mark Walker, who is no longer a member of Congress, he's a former member of Congress, has already announced he's running for the Republican nomination for that seat. 
Pat McCrory, the former governor, former Charlotte mayor, may be running for that Senate nomination. Uh, on the Democratic side, uh, a couple of the people who were talked about or ran last time, like Jeff Jackson, the state senator from Mecklenburg, and, and uh, Erica Smith, the former state senator from the eastern part of the state, uh, they may run. Uh, some think Cal Cunningham, the nominee this, this past year, will run again. I doubt that very seriously. And then there's also a rumor that Roy Cooper may decide to run for U.S. Senate. Um, he would only have two years left of his gubernatorial term if he were to win. He would be giving up the seat, though, to a Republican governor. Mark Robinson would become the, or the current lieutenant governor, would become governor. And also, I just don't think that Roy Cooper and his wife want to live and work in Washington. So I don't really put a lot of stock in that rumor. But if it were to happen, that would certainly be very significant in North Carolina. Uh, because it would flip the, the governor's seat to, to a Republican, which is one reason why I suspect it probably is not going to happen. But well, I think it's a very competitive race. It will be one of the most expensive races in 2022, the, one of the most expensive races in, in, in American history, just like 2020's race between Tillis and Cunningham was the most expensive. John, I know you have looked ahead at the Senate's seats that will be up in uh, 2022. Is there a possibility or what is the likelihood that the Democrats will re retain control? Um, of course, we don't know the issues uh, two years out, but likely uh, in an off-year election, some of the reactions of the actions of the current, uh, the new administration will be uh, up for uh, second guessing and so forth by the electorate. Uh, so what is the outlook nationally for the Senate in 2022? History would tell us that Republicans who only have to gain a net of one seat to have a majority in the U.S. Senate, that, that Republicans would be more likely to win just because typically an off-year election goes against the president's party. Yeah. Doesn't always happen. Didn't happen in 2002 with President Bush, but that was arguably during wartime. Some argue, look, uh, the COVID-19 crisis, which will still be plaguing us, uh, at least economically, in 2022, uh, will be sort of like wartime, and maybe the Trump effect on the Republican Party will still be lingering to such a degree that Biden will beat the odds and the Democrats will gain seats. It is certainly the case there are more Republican seats at risk in 2022 than Democratic seats. The map is not really favorable to the Republicans. All that having been said, I suspect the Republicans have to be at least modestly favored to retake the Senate in 2022, but, you know, we just mentioned this, but a lot of this, that this road runs through North Carolina. Yes. Democrats just won two seats in a similar state, Georgia, and they almost won. I mean, Cal Cunningham, you know, was only a little behind Tillis this year, this past cycle. So I think North Carolina is absolutely a critical state in this story. Again. John, as uh, we enter this uh, next four years, people are going to begin lining up for uh, running for governor, as Roy Cooper will, of course, only serve one more term, the, the remaining part of his term now. Uh, who do you see as the candidates that are beginning to focus on that possible race, uh, even though it's four years out on both sides, Republican you know, and Democrat? Seen, I mean, I, honestly, that's an excellent question, because I think that there hasn't been as much jockeying for position for the governor's race as there might have been in past years 
Uh, this happened right after 1996 when Governor Hunt, Jim Hunt, was elected to his fourth term. Everybody knew he had to go in 2020, or excuse me, in, in 2000. And there was already jockeying for position at that time on the Democratic side uh, between the lieutenant governor, Dennis Wicker, and the attorney general, Mike Easley. And they basically sort of sparred for four years. Something similar happened after the reelection of uh, Jim Martin in 1988. So, so we see this kind of thing with two-term governors that you immediately see the primaries launch. I haven't really seen that this year. I think partly because people are distracted by COVID and the recession and Trump and you know, sort of the national story. But I also think the issue here, Don, is that open Senate seat. Uh, that is more immediate. That is focusing the mind of people who might want to run for statewide office. And if and when it becomes clear either that someone's not going to be the nominee or they, we get the election passes, then I think we'll get a clearer sense of what that field is. I think it is very likely that Josh Stein, the current Democratic attorney general, would be a gubernatorial candidate. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, on the Republican side, would, for example, Pat McCrory seek to come back, uh, whether he runs for Senate or not? I, I don't think so, but, you know, maybe. Um, and Mark Robinson, who's the lieutenant governor, would he immediately start essentially campaigning to be the gubernatorial nominee in 2024? I, that's possible, but I don't see that happening anytime soon because he's just now he's just new to politics. He's just been elected to his first job. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a good answer for you other than I'd be surprised if the, if the Senate or House leader, if Tim Moore or Phil Berger, uh, who are leaders of the legislature, I'd be surprised if they were angling to run for governor. I'm not sure that would be in their agenda, but uh, we'll see. Well, it's going to be interesting. And John, one of the things that is interesting is the daily newspaper's influence on our lives in North Carolina and across the country, for that matter, continues to diminish. Uh, it is harder for up-and-coming politicians to build a name or to build any recognition because they're not in the news very often because, of course, television news uh, basically is rapes, robberies, murders, and crime. And uh, uh, so there's not a lot of platform for candidates to, to use to build name recognition as it has been in the past. I think you're right about that. I think the, t the, the uh, your observations are, are right about TV and about newspapers. Also radio, Don, your own area. There are fewer local shows around the state, around the country than there used to be because we tend to be focused more on national subjects and national personalities. And so the, a lot of the traditional ways that people campaigned and sort of got their word out there are not available. Um, but they got other ways, including online ways. I think, by the way, this argues that members of Congress who can still get national attention but be from a state might be starting to be an even more prominent source of statewide candidates in the future because they can get some media coverage that state officials cannot. Well, it's certainly an interesting time. And, uh, of course, you know, one of the things that you, we, uh, you touched on is most of the uh, media outlets have become so polarized that uh, they – uh, don't offer uh, an opportunity for new faces as much as they uh, bring up the uh, polarization of the two political parties. So that's an interesting thing. Well, I've left myself with not enough time to start a new topic, so I'm just simply going to say that our guest is John Hood. He's the president of the John William Pope Foundation, and we'll come back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers 
And we will do that right after we take time out for these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. John Hood is our guest. He has been a frequent guest on our program for many, many times. Uh, and uh, we uh, purposely asked John to come on today because we wanted to get his perspective on what not only has happened during the last month, which has been a very interesting month, to say the least, but also the, the future of where our government is going, both nationally and locally. And of course, uh, we've touched on the COVID-19 situation and how important that is to returning to some sense of being more normal in our uh, lifestyle. Uh, but uh, John, this is also uh, a, a real economic situation because we are being forced into uh, increasing the federal debt and uh, by uh, supporting a lot of issues that help put the economy back to order. Are you worried about the uh, increase in the federal debt? Oh yes, but I've been worried about it for years. Uh, I've been I've I've, write, I've been writing a syndicated newspaper column uh, since 1986 runs in dozens of papers in the state. And on several occasions, on many occasions, during the past uh, actually 12 years, during the Obama years and then the Trump years, I would rail about how we were raising the debt load and we're increasing debt. And soon it would be the, the, the share of national debt held by the public would approach 100% of the gross domestic product. People said, ah, it's not going to happen or that's not important. That's where we are now. I just looked at the numbers today. Public held debt, federal debt, is about 100% of GDP. Uh, we look at other countries where the debt gets bigger than the economy. You start thinking about defaults and poor, poor management and horrible futures and so forth. I think that both parties uh, bear blame for this, of course. Neither, neither president really cared about constraining spending. Uh, the Trump people came in. They they did a big tax cut, and I'm in favor of tax cuts. But you have to you have to offset the fiscal impact, at least a fair amount of it, by reduced spending, which they didn't do. So we ran trillion dollar deficits under Obama for some years. We ran trillion dollar deficits every year, uh, almost every year under Trump. We're going to run 
massive deficits this year, uh, next year. Uh, this is this is completely irresponsible and it is completely unsustainable. Eventually, when you borrow money, you have to pay it back, even if the interest rate is low. You have to pay it back. It's not free money. And I just don't see any seriousness by e politicians of either party to do anything substantially about this. To my conservative friends, I will say, since there was no spending restraint, really, at the federal level, those tax cuts you like are all temporary. They, they can't stick because the federal government's going to have to raise taxes. And to my progressive friends, I would say, stop talking about the defense budget and wasting government and a few other things and thinking you're serious unless you are willing to constrain the growth of Social Security, Medicare, and, and, and Medicaid, you are not a serious person. You're, you're not really serious about balancing the budget. You can't do it just by raising taxes on billionaires. They don't. They have a lot of money, but not enough, <laughs> or even millionaires. So you're gonna, you, you are for a big tax increase if you're a Republican and you don't want to cut spending, and you're for a big tax increase if you're a Democrat and you don't want to cut spending. It's just the way it is. Say, so, you know, there's several other interesting things going on now because savings of individuals is at an all-time high. That's one interesting thing. You know, get yes. your comments on that. The second thing is, uh, as our infrastructure is beginning to run down, uh, this is a this is a wonderful time for interest rates to be low because we can uh, put a lot of people back to work by working on our infrastructure, uh, which is. Uh, there are many, many needs all across, not only North Carolina, but across the country. So uh, I spent a lot of my early career working on writing books about saving and investment and how public policy discourages it. Uh, naturally, I sort of like the idea that we have become more of a nation of savers than we used to. But there's a difference between saving and investing. Saving is just not spending something. And lots of people have built up bank accounts. They're worried. They're properly concerned about COVID and all that. But investments where the problem is, is that we just don't have enough productive investment occurring in our economy to build new opportunities, new jobs, new products, new innovations. And we have fewer startup business startups today than we usually have in American history. So we're, we're not getting the entrepreneurs starting new companies. So risk taking is not popular. Investing effectively uh, is no longer a priority. There's a lot of just focused on current consumption. If we borrow money, even at low interest rates, in order to pay people Social Security benefits or pay Medicare bills, that's not investment. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't build the productive capacity of our economy in the future. You want to borrow to invest, not to spend on current needs. And so you're right. We should be borrowing some money to invest in public assets like highways and so forth. I agree with that. Unfortunately, a lot of our borrowing capacity is being soaked up just papering over deficits in current operations. And that's if a business did that, they'd go under. Governments can't really go under, but they certainly can drag everything else down as they are fiscally uh, irresponsible. So I, I think this is a, a horrible turn of events for which there is not an obvious political constituency to solve it. I'm not sure that the Biden team thinks it's very important. The Trump team, frankly, did not think it was very important. I wish somebody would. <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is that that's why you're a conservative. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, you know, the interesting thing uh, that I always find out about you, John, is you always look at both sides of each issue. And that's, uh, that's what we would like to see in all of our uh, views and opinions of what we need to do as a country and as a state is look at both sides of each issue and come to a, 
uh, some sort of a compromise decision of balancing the good with the bad because it is a matter of balancing things. So um, uh, the federal government, of course, is looking for ways to get the economy back. Uh, it's all sort of hinging on the um, COVID-19 situation. What do you see as uh, the role of the federal government in getting our economy rolling again? Honestly, I think the, it should just focus like a laser beam on getting the vaccines produced and distributed to the networks that can put them put shots in arms. Uh, I think most of everything else that people want the federal government to do is probably either unwise or unnecessary. The, 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 the injury here is the pandemic itself and the resulting economic dislocations. You can't paper it over very well. I mean, we, we can't just go spend even more uh, borrowed money to throw money around. This is not a long-term plan. The, the plan should be simply to get the pandemic suppressed so that normal business activity, normal investment activity can, can return. That's it. And as far as state and local governments are concerned, frankly, the most important thing they could do is figure out how to get schools open because the schools being closed and lots of kids being home is not only an educational problem, it's part of the overhang on the economy. There are people who can't do their jobs. They've lost their jobs. They've lost hours at their jobs because they have to take care of kids at home and try maybe to help them learn something online. So I think focus on suppressing the virus through immunization and other means and focus on opening the schools. I, I think that all those two things together will go a long way to get us back on track. So, John, uh, you've got about a minute here to tell me what we are actually about 40 seconds to tell me what we should expect to happen next week. <laughs> Not nearly as interesting a set of events as what has happened in the past several weeks. I do think, as I said at the top of the show, Don, that Biden's goal of sort of tamping down emotions and calming things down, he's going to be a progressive left sort of president. I'm not going to like that. But I think that his approach to tamping things down is the right one. It's what the country needs at the moment. A breath. Take a breath. Sit back. Take a breath. Well, and I think uh, almost everybody would welcome that uh, on both sides of the aisle because uh, things have uh, been uh, on the front burner. Uh, too many things have been on the front burner for a long, too, uh, for way too long. Yeah. John, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. John Hood, president of the John William Pope Foundation, as I said, a frequent guest on their program, and we'll look forward to having him back on again soon. Program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or listen to the segments that you might have missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. As I said, we'll have another interesting guest next week, same time, same group of stations. So the next week, same time, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.